All right, here we go. This is Nicole. This is my podcast because I'm in love with recovery and I love talking about it and I love people who love to talk about it. And this is my friend, Tim, who I met in Vancouver. And uh, well, actually we met at the convention who is yeah. from the Vancouver area, Canada. And so um, I just started to ask Tim a question and then he got so interesting, I made him stop <laughs> so I could record it. Um, so again, uh, the purpose of this recording is so that we can be of service to the fellowship, particularly, um, you know, what you and I have talked about is being able to send this to um, men that uh, come to you or say anything. And so I think I'd be sort of geared towards, you know, um, your experience, either being a man in the rooms um, and Tim and my, hopefully my friend Neil will be having another bigger conversation about this, but a little bit about you. So we're going to save that for that piece, you know, but maybe just you, um, uh, you were mentoring sponsor, you started mentoring sponsoring men. So yeah. let's go ahead and start there. And also first, I mean, you want to give a thumbnail sketch of. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. just a thumbnail sketch. Cause we'll I'll qualify. Yeah. <laughs> I know I belong here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I've been in the rooms for 10 years. Uh, I've been abstinent off and on for eight of those years. Uh, although my abstinence definitely looks different now than it did when I first came in. I think yeah. that's pretty true of a lot of folks. Um, but yeah, I mean, I came in, I stopped weighing myself about 260. So I know it was somewhere above 260. Right. Um, and uh, how tall are and, you? Pardon? 5'8". 5'8". Five five okay. Just to give yeah. people a... Yeah. And um, uh basically ate myself into diabetes type two at 30 years old. I'm currently 54, uh, 53 actually. Um, and, uh, was, I mean, the big part of it, you know, when I came in the rooms, I didn't even realize I had a food problem. My, my current, my wife and my girlfriend at the time, she knew I had a problem with food and she recommended me to come here, but I honestly didn't know. Um, I just thought my life was crap. Um, and it was, uh, and I got to know more of the reasons why and how much of that involved my food, my obsession, uh, my shame. Um, and, uh, you know, being able to work, being able to work this program uh, 10 years in, um, currently 16 months of abstinence that I'm happy with, um, is I guess I've dropped, um, I'm just hitting the 100 pound mark. Wow. I'm just over 160. Wow. Um, and um, my blood sugars are like, I had diabetes for 20 years, so it's not going away anytime soon, but my numbers are in control. And, um, you know, my, my medical team is not worried about me. Let's just oh, put it that way. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, and, uh, but more importantly, like the gifts of program are, are a complete personal spiritual transformation, which um, I'm, amazed at how much more confident and at ease and um in the moment i am in the world as opposed to where i was before oh yeah, yeah. so let's focus on sponsoring then sure That's a nice fresh topic um 
Well, I guess to start off with, I I think, you know, the situation has changed a little bit, especially over the last five years. But when I first came into program, there was, I felt honestly a lot of pressure to sponsor because, um, you know, I don't know about where you are, but in Vancouver, like it it felt like I came into OA at the beginning of a little bit of a renaissance, you know, like that recovery was a little bit leading sometimes in Vancouver. I'm just going to say that. I don't know if it's true or not, but that was my perception. Um, you didn't see a lot of people with five or 10 years, never mind 20 or 30 or whatever. Um, and so, and there was almost no men that were sponsoring. So like there was a real emphasis on getting people that were ready to sponsor. Um, and I was simultaneously I think one of the good things about people pleasing behavior was I was really wanting to do that, but I'm not sure I was exactly ready to do that. And I was frightened. I was frightened about it for sure. Um, and frightened of it because, uh, you know, my own experience as a man has been that my relationships with men have been, I guess the way to say it would be um, confrontational somewhat, you know, there's a, uh, in terms of even just competition and, you know, people will, you know, there's a lot of compare and despair, I think, going on behind the scenes right? Um, in terms of what it actually means to be a man in program. So yeah. how, and, and it kind of relates to, do I really need this program or not? Can't I do it myself? Um, what about all these other guys? This guy's doing it better than me. This guy's this way, this guy's that way. So I felt a lot of comparison when I came in. Um, or at least I was comparing what I thought they thought about me. Right. You know, um, and that, that was difficult, you know? Um, and also, so I guess when I started to sponsor, I only did men because, you know, I think that that was a need number one, that was a need number one, but you know, I think there's a lot of, especially in a step, four or five situation. I think there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I don't know that a lot of uh, women fellows would actually want to share that with me. And, and I've always, when I do have women sponsees and I, you know, I'll take them. It's not, I just don't think I'll take anybody who wants me, but you know, that has not, nobody's not that many women have approached me. So let's just put it that way. But I think that, you know, there's a lot of really intimate stuff, especially when you're getting into sex inventory that, you know, I, I can totally understand why a woman would not want to necessarily have me be the person who hears that. You know? I just want to interject here and um, just to affirm that I have a, a male sponsee. Tom is actually my sponsee. And when we started to approach um, the fourth step, I told him to take his sex inventory to uh, a man um, fortunately, in Tom's situation, he had he already had a sponsor, and that was you know for those who have been listening to the podcast, Tom and Alan. Alan is Alan and I are both Tom's sponsor. Alan um, sponsored Tom first, but he was a much more sort of reflective, you know, um, come to me when you want me, you know, whatever. And I'm much more of a drill sergeant, and. Uh, <laughs> really focused on uh, sugar addiction. And so Tom started to approach me and I, uh, and it was really because Tom realized that he just was not, you know, with, in terms of the sugar, he really needed more of 
you know, a, a tougher approach. And, and so when he came to me and asked me that, I, and he told me that Alan was sponsoring him, I said, you need to keep Alan because there are going to be things that you're not going to want to come to me about. And so you need to be able to have Alan there. So I will sponsor you as long as you still have Alan. And then when we came to the fourth step, I kind of thought about it. And I thought about it from two angles. One is you need to be able to, to comfortably share about your sex stuff, you know? And so you're probably going to feel more comfortable sharing that with Alan. Number two, which was interesting was, I don't know that I want to hear this. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't know that I want to hear these things about you. You know what I mean? And and I'm probably not going to be able to have that sort of, oh yeah, don't worry about it. I did that too response that you need, you know what I mean? From, and so we agreed and he, and he liked it and he felt better too about that decision. Like mm -hmm. when it came to his sex inventory, he took it to Alan and mm -hmm. I just trusted that. And then everything else we moved forward. So I just yeah. wanted to pitch that. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, I mean, what I tell my women sponsees is that if I can do it, if you'd like, um, I'm pretty comfortable based on my background. I, you know, I don't know how relevant it is, but I, I, you know, I've been in a place where I've been able to hear a lot of stuff and um, been able to roll with it. So that's not an issue for me, but um, it's also a comfortability thing, you know, and you want to be open. So I just say, you know, I don't need to hear that. You can go somewhere else. It, it doesn't have to be me. Cause right. you know I mean? And it says that in the big book too, right? Right. And I also just, I, I know what you're referring to and I think your background is relevant. So can we sort of just pause for a minute and talk about being surrounded by so many sisters? Sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of both. Like, I mean, like I'm the last of nine kids. Uh, the closest ones pretty much to me were all my sisters. So um, I grew up around women. Um, I'm comfortable probably with women more than with men. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't want to trigger a whole bunch of people, but I was molested when I was a kid by a neighbor. Um, so guys aren't necessarily my favorite people. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, um, I ended up, um, one of my partners ended up working at a rape crisis center. Um, and I supported that. Uh, financially and and by volunteer labor for you know 15 years yeah so um, I'm you know I know a lot about how um, women get hurt in this society you know right. just as a blanket statement so there there's not going to be a lot that I haven't heard before um, and uh, and while I can't I'll never be able to fully understand what the breadth of that means. I yeah. get it enough to be able to say, I understand that that happened and I'm sorry. And, right. you know, that sort of stuff. So. so, so then that's interesting. I don't want to lose track of the sponsoring men, but you coming in then and sort of let's, let's take it back a step around you coming into the rooms and being told you need a sponsor. Who did you get to sponsor you? I picked a guy. Um, yeah, and, okay. yeah, I did. Um, and 
uh, honestly, it was, uh, he, it's not, I was going to say he courted me and that's not exactly what it was like, mm -hmm. but it was like, he made it pretty clear that he would like to be my sponsor. And right. I, at that point, like I was, I was desperate. I really was. Well, okay. I wasn't obviously that desperate because this is six months in, but, yeah. um, but, but you were desperate I enough. I, I knew it was time is I guess the thing. And I needed to find somebody and, um, and you know, my own, I had a lot of my own baggage that I didn't like, I probably could not have given a step four or five to a woman at that point in my life. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, but you know, it was interesting in other factors. Like, you know, I was 42, almost 45 when I came into the rooms and my sponsor was 26. Oh, okay. And, and I was like, and part of me was like, really, you know, and, uh, and, uh, but, um, it, it worked, it was really well, it worked out really well. Un, you know, unfortunately, like, right. I didn't get through my first set of steps with my sponsor because my sponsor left program. Oh, okay. Yeah. And but then, before he left, you know, cause now we've touched, we've touched on so many really good topics and there are so many different ways this conversation could go. All of them wonderful and amazing. But let's go back to, you know, again, here you are, you come into the rooms and, you know, you just from, first of all, without the trauma experience, you, there's just the male competition, the not trusting men, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, and then you have your own personal trauma, which is validates that like men can't be trusted. But then here you come in and you know, you come into the rooms and for, you know, good reasons historically, and a lot of this comes out of AA, you know, is, you know, look, men sponsor men, women sponsor women. Yeah. So that's where it comes from is sort of, you know, keeping, making the recovery and uh, the most important thing and just keeping this, the sexual dynamics, it doesn't matter, you know, out of the way. What's interesting is for listeners to know is that for um, gay and lesbian, it's the exact opposite. You know, yeah. a lot of times it could be, well, I mean, it, it depends. It could be, you know what I mean? But it's just, just for listeners to know that having been in women only rooms and queer rooms, you know, there needs to be a sort of an adjustment on that around like, okay, wait a minute, let's see. And so a lot of, um, a lot of times they do pick same sex and a lot of times they don't, you know what I mean? Because of the, like, they just want to take, you know, the whole, you know, sex piece out. But anyway, you come into the rooms and Alan mentioned this last time, which is being desperate enough to just follow instructions, you know what I mean? And so there you are, you come in, you've got the resistance to men, you come into the rooms, Someone's saying like, okay, get a sponsor. You're like, whoa, I don't know if I'm ready for that. You know what I mean? And then six months in, you're like, okay, you know what? I think maybe I will start to follow <laughs> some instructions here. And you approach a man. Now, what I think is interesting is that that you approach a younger man. Or, or no, that's not true. A younger man was kind of saying, hey, I'd be happy to sponsor you. And hey, I'd be happy to sponsor you. And then you said yes and whatever. And I could see how that would, and this is kind of what I wanna focus on, is finding your way in 
in a way that feels safe. You know what I mean? And so here you go to a younger man where the dynamic might feel a little bit safer. Yeah, you know, I honestly hadn't thought about it that way until you just brought it up. Um, um, I guess what I would say was um, this gentleman had released about 300 pounds in program. Okay. And I was like, holy crap, I have no idea how he did that, but he seems pretty, he seems pretty on it. He like, he's committed he's dedicated. Um, the other thing, you know, and I joke about this a lot, but I think there's a Canadian aspect to this as well. Like I love it. Joke is, how do you get 50 Canadians out of a swimming pool? You say, will you please get out of the swimming pool? I love um, and, and that's, that's, I want to come. I want to move to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, they said you don't, have to get a sponsor right away, but we recommend that you get a sponsor. We recommend that you attend at least six meetings. So yeah. I made sure I stayed for six meetings because I was asked to. Yeah. Um, and at some point I realized I needed a sponsor. I lurked for about six months. Yeah. Um, and then it was time. And then, um, I mean, and then the other part of it too was I knew that I needed someone who was pretty available. Right. And uh, there weren't very many male sponsors in the meetings that I was going to at least. And I would yeah. say it all. Right. Um, and so I picked the guy that was there and was obviously going to not ride me or anything. Cause that, that would not have been okay. Right. But, but I needed somebody that was at least going to be present and be yeah. there. And, so forth yeah. and, and also then I could imagine, and here's, here's the identification in terms of being a trauma survivor is, you know, and, we, we have that in common. And so again, finding, so yes, there's just like, here's this guy, he lost this weight, here's, he's available, here's whatever, but some aspect of your brain, you know, the, the part that's been wounded going, and he's not going to trigger any memories. Like, so for example, for me, I could not have anyone that sort of reminded me of the dynamic the power dynamic yeah. of my trauma and so that was what i was sort of you know that he's a younger man and so he's so outside of the scope just by age of bringing up any past power dynamic yeah. um, wounds i think if i had to think about it thinking about it like that what is true is that while he was my sponsor like sometimes we become friends with our sponsors, right? And I felt like I controlled that part of it. Right. And that, I think that was important for me. Yeah. Um, just based on my past trauma experience. Exactly. So, um, and that, so that was how that worked out. And that's how I got in the rooms. Um, and then I just, just to touch on what we were talking about before you stopped me and started the tape yeah. was my experience as a sponsor with men has yeah. changed. Not, I think, in what comes out of my mouth, but what is in my heart, I think, is that I, I, the interesting thing for me was that um, I, I have heard in the past, I don't hear it a lot anymore, but the whole, I see a lot, I, I start out saying I see a lot of, and I really want to stop myself. I have seen 
men say in rooms, I don't know if I can be here because all these women are talking women talk stuff mm. and I don't think I get it. And I've been like, you know, and, and for me, the key to recovery in the program, one of the big keys is identification. You have to be able to identify with every single line of the big book. There's got to be, and I'm not there, like, but I'm working to see what I can find in every single line of that book. How do I see myself in that sentence? And it's got to be the same, like with the people that you meet, men, women, different races, different sexualities, like there's got to be some common experience that binds us together and you have to look for it because that's where the key is. You know, right. that's, where, that's where spirituality is. And that's right. where taking yourself out of yourself is, is seeing yourself in other people. So, you know, I, you know, I, that was a tack that I was taking with, with, um, the men in my life saying, look, you have to identify with the women in the room. Right. You can recover as easily from what any of the women say in this room as with any of the men. And then one day it just smacked me in the face. Like I have to identify with men. I don't identify with men, you know? Wow. And, and that made me want to sponsor men more before it was sort of like, yeah, I'll do it. You know? And now, um, and now it feels like this is a responsibility for me, for my health, to be able to identify with other men, to see other men as um, like me, like, Likewise, yeah. you know, like um, uh, compassionate, you know. Um, I don't know if you referred to the fact that we sort of had a half a meeting last time with me and Ellen and Tom. No, I didn't, yeah. But but one of the things before the power got cut off. Yeah. Um, For those who are listening, we tried to do this and it was a rainstorm and all of a sudden my power went off and then my Wi-Fi wouldn't connect and we had to just reschedule. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Mother Nature uh, was like, not today. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I was really surprised. I was really surprised by... Um, our little chat, even the little chat we had, because I was thinking, you know, like me, the five sisters, the women focused and whatever, I would be the only one. And I think, I don't know if it's just the three people that you had on, but I think that we had a lot more in common than I was expecting. Oh, good. Then maybe we will try to do um, a bigger group, you know, and see how that works. I definitely want to do um, you and for people who are listening, I'm trying to wrangle another guy, you know, and so maybe we'll do you and Neil and then try to do a bigger panel and see how that flows because I love it. I, you know, this is the part that um, I enjoy about doing these podcasts is talking to people. You know, I do have, you know, the homework assignments and, you know, for people and everything, but yeah, good. I like that. I'd love to have that, you know, and again, I, I'm also really glad that I made you stop and, and I got it recorded, your aha moment of, you know, oh, wait a minute, I have to learn to identify with men, you know, and I think, and one of the things that we talked about in um, the other podcast was how the rooms become a sort of sandbox, you know, to practice, you know, yeah. the behaviors and to heal the dynamics yeah, you know, absolutely. whatever they are, whether it's, you know, women not trusting other women or, you know, women not trusting men or whatever it is. So, yeah, exactly. You know, and I think some of the, like, some of the gifts that I've had in program are that I've got all my men sponsees 
the long-term ones that I've had, I'm still, I'm building relationships with the newer ones. Obviously that takes time and care and patience, but you know, I don't, I have never, like, I didn't even think, I was going to say it's such a gift, but I mean, the thing is, it was a surprise because I never even thought it was something that I would ever need or want. But I have conversations with men in my life where I answer the phone or I get off the phone by saying, I love you. Oh yeah. That I never even thought that was like, it doesn't compute that it was even possible. Right. And that like, I've got really strong, loving, compassionate relationships with men in my life today. And I've never had that before. Wow. That's really powerful. And, and, the only, I mean, it's, I was going to say the sad part, but I mean, it's, it's, it's honestly really in contrast with my three brothers who I, I don't think I have that. Yeah. So can we talk about that? Like, cause I was about to say, I knew you had brothers. So yeah, I've got three brothers and they're, um, they're kind of older at the older end of the spectrum. So, okay. So the list is my oldest sister is 15 years older than me. She's the oldest. And I, Hold on, honey, I'm losing. In the next three years, and then three years and a, two years and a sister, three years and a sister, three years and a sister and me. So 15 years, nine kids. Poor mom. <laughs> um, and uh, Jim, that can means, I have you do that again? Because on my side, I don't know if it got recorded well, but on my side, it all, you know, so you had an older brother. Can you just yeah. do the thing again? Because uh, so my mom had five children in five years. Right. So two girls, then three boys. Oh, okay. Then two years and one sister, three years and another sister, three years and another sister, and then three years and me. Wow. So all my sisters are are kind of closer, but also yeah. there's a big age gap between that and my brothers as well. I see. Yeah. Wow. Um, so like basically when my when I was uh, you know, six or seven, my my youngest brother to me was 10 years older than me. So he was already starting to be a hooligan and get in trouble. Um, So, um, and uh, you know, and my, my brothers are strongly patterned after my father who is very type A and a very manly man for a lack of a better word, you know, like definitely an alpha male, but also like, was a truck driver, did all the trades, did, you know, he, right. you know, and I was thoughtful and bookish and, <laughs> uh, and not, yeah, not, not like that at all. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so, and, and the thing is, is that I realize now that I'm looking back at it, that I know that they loved me. It's, that's not an issue, but it's just, there was no, there was no real way to express it because the actual words I love you were very hard to come out of your mouth. Like in my family, it was like, there was either you were working or you were yelling at each other. And then after you cried, maybe you'd say you love me. Right. Right. And that was about it. Yeah. Um, So, and I think that that's something that, you know, I needed more of, I needed more uh, intimacy and closeness with my family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your relationship with your brothers like today or did it change or are they just so unavailable that nothing really changed? What I think mostly is, I don't think that they've changed 
No, that's not true. They've changed a lot. Like, over the course of time, I've got one brother that's still kind of stuck a little bit in that pattern, but I think the years have mellowed all of us, I think, yeah, a lot. Yeah. So, you know, I'm seeing my brothers being more open, you know. Um, I wouldn't say, like, we're not we're not having tea parties and crying with each other on Thursday <laughs> or anything, but, um, you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, you know we know that we care for each other and, and I've, and I've also learned to interpret their actions because yeah. I think they show it through their actions more yeah. than their words. Right. And I'm seeing yeah. what they're doing and interpreting that. Oh, he obviously loves me. Yeah. yeah. The uh, love language of the acts of service. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, great. Now what about your healing around your own masculinity? This is something that, um, and I'd love to have you guys talk on this more. But one of the things that, and we didn't, we didn't talk, touch on it, but one of the things that came up was, you know, gaining weight um, as a way of feeling safe. Yep. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I mean. So as a survival mechanism. So first of all, there's turning to food for comfort but what I think is very interesting is, is the vices that we choose because there yeah. are so many out there. And yeah. so, you know, the thing about food is, you know, you can be sober from the neck up, you know what I mean? And, yeah. but the other thing about food is, you know, that you can um, gain weight. Yeah. So, and then of course with food, it goes back to the very first, that was the youngest when you were, you know, the nipple in the bottle is being food was the most comforting connective experience that you had just on a very primal, you know. Yeah. Level. You know, I, I used to think, cause I, I was a pretty skinny kid till I was five and then, and then I started to put on weight, you know? And so I thought, you know, Honestly, I thought for a long time that maybe something happened to me when I was younger. I don't think that's the case. I'm not sure, but mm -hmm. you know, more will be revealed, right? Um, but uh, I asked my mom when we started talking, because I have been able to open up to my mom about my eating disorder, and she doesn't understand it at all, really. <laughs> but yeah. she's, she's willing to humor me about it. Um, but one of the things she remarked, and she said, you know, when you were a kid, I was bottle fed. She said, she said that when I was a baby, I would suck on the nipples of the bottles so hard. I would actually rip them off. Mm. Like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, so maybe I've had this for longer than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Again, it's that. that need, that need, that need, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the strength of that is just the need, the need, yeah. the need, you know? And one of the things that I've noticed about the way that I ate before was I was really happiest when like I know I'm a volume addict in, in a lot of ways because it really soothed me to have so much food going down my neck, down this part of my throat Yeah. Um, that it felt like it was almost going to pop. Like that was a really comforting feeling for me. So it had to be a lot of quantity going down. Yeah. Yeah. So I could feel it going down. There was that part of it. But I mean, the other thing too, like there's, um, you know, I, you know, I was molested. I don't quite remember, but it was like, I was 10, 11, 12 or something like that. Right. Um, 
but you know, I've, I've had weight issues since I was five. I remember right. that quite clearly, but there's a couple of things that are also um, interesting about the weight part of it, which are, you know, like I was a pretty small skinny kid, as I have mentioned, I was bookish yeah. and um, I grew up in a pretty rough area town where right. I was. Right. And, um, and the weight made me seem bigger, made me yeah. seem like you could mistake the, the, the extra weight for muscle and bulk. Right. You know? And yeah. and then I could use that to kind of throw around if I had to, too. Right. That yeah. it made me safe definitely in that way. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then after like, you know, when after the, the trauma, it definitely like, I don't think I really picked up on it. Right. But definitely. If you don't want people around. Yeah. Being bigger is the way to do that. Yeah, you know? definitely. Um, and, uh, yeah. Cause I mean, like, again, like when I came into the rooms, I didn't think I had a problem with food. I right. didn't, under, I didn't connect the two. And I just connected the way that my life was chaos and awful. Yeah. And, uh, and this was maybe one way to look at it, you yeah. know, based on what somebody else told me. Yeah. yeah. So let's, let's stay on the weight of, and, and I relate to this, which is, is that um, also being a survivor, but then also, I mean, I love my dad, but my dad, type A alpha male, and, um, you know, uh, my grandfather was a colonel in the military, or in the Air Force, I mean, and, um, and so, uh, you know, my dad, he never hit me, but he postured. And um, I never saw him punch walls, but we had holes in the door from, so I knew what the holes were from. So again, just that like, and the one time that my dad did sort of come at me physically, I do think that some part of my brain was like, oh my gosh, you know, I need to keep myself, you know, so between the trauma and, and then being raised in that environment, somehow on some level it was like i need to occupy more space you know what i mean i need to weigh more just in terms of physical mass going up against you know to be blunt you know men in the world you know and mm -hmm. i one of the things that i said i don't know if i said it i might have said it here which is is that when i was talking to tom and alan is is that men's only predator are other men you know what I mean? And it's like, so, okay. So then, but, so there's a couple of things. There's one gaining weight to occupy more space, but then there's also gaining weight to desexualize your body. And then what I heard last time is, is that when I was talking to them is there's the desexualizing your body, which is very much, you know, an aspect of it, but regarding male competition you know if you so if you gain weight then you're not really a competitor for other men do you get what i'm saying yeah it well i mean like i don't know how relevant this is but i remember like i moved when i was about 16 from a city to rural environment and changed schools right in the middle of the year. And I was feeling really awkward. And my first day in gym class, there was this one guy who didn't fit in, like I thought I didn't fit in at that time. And all of the big boys basically said, hey guy, go through that door. He didn't want to go through a gym door. He said, no, 
They beat the crap out of him, threw him through the door, went to the other side of the door and said, hey, go back through that door. He said, no, I don't want to. And then they beat the crap out of him and knocked him that through, through the door. And I noticed the first thing I thought was, I do not want to be that guy. Right. And, and sometimes, like, if you're just – and that was – and it, not for the same reasons, but I grew up in a, in a single wide mobile home with all those nine kids, right? Wow. And right. it was utter chaos all the time. Yeah. We were as quiet as we could, but it was utter chaos all the time. And I just really felt like I had to get small, not right. be seen. And, um, and that was the same thing. And, and the weight, if it's not, if you can be sort of just overweight enough to not be noticed anymore but not so big that you're ridiculed that was the perfect way to be yeah no you're not a threat you're not and and if you don't say anything to make yourself a threat yeah then you're not a threat wow wow that's really powerful so here you come into the rooms so let's talk about this you know the so my experience was is that i despite my best efforts and I was hardcore work this program, but I only lost 10 pounds initially when I first came in the rooms, I did lose my weight, but I lost 10 pounds every two years and I was very frustrated. Um, And I realize now, and again, this is, you and I have the benefit of kind of looking back and sort of reflecting is, is that I had to get comfortable in the world being in a smaller body. Mm. and letting go of my weight being a way of feeling safe Mm -hmm. can you sort of speak to that yeah I mean I'm not sure if it's the same thing but I remember like so first of all I wasn't really thinking about weight one of the great things my sponsor at that time said to me was it's not about the weight just work the program heal yourself the weight will take care of itself and I and I decided to try and believe that And, and, and so I didn't like, and again, when I first came in, I thought being abstinent was going to be me not being the guy who goes from drive through to drive through pretending I was ordering for a family of four, making sure that the other drive through right across the street didn't know that I had just been at the other one, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, and I, one of the things is I haven't been through a drive through for food since I first came in program. That was 10 years ago. Right. that obviously, you know, after a while, I realized that, you know, my life was still pretty crazy, even though I'm not going through drive throughs And then, you know, that's when my, my food plan changed and evolved as, as did my abstinence. Yeah. Um, what I did notice as I started losing weight was, um, I don't know how to describe it, except, you know, like the ghost limb thing. Oh, you know, like, right. Yeah. You know, like, and cause like I'd be sitting on the bus and like, I still do it sometimes and I'm kind of putting my shoulders together to try and make space because I used to be so big before I would take more than a seat on the bus. And I thought, you know, I wanted to make myself smaller, but I'm not, or taking that like extra three feet around when you're walking around people on the sidewalk and you have to anymore, but it's just, you know, you, I still feel bigger. I still, and I still feel bigger. Yeah. um, when I, uh, I, um, recently, uh, uh, I got the one thing I can blame my parents for, which is a weird shaped foot. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I had to have foot reconstruction surgery. So I went through reconstruction surgery in February. 
Um, and, uh, and so I was, I could not move. I had no weight bearing for six, eight weeks. Uh, and so, and I talked to my, I talked to my sponsor and I said, Hey, Mr. Sponsor, uh, I am going to be sedentary for the better part of three to four months. Yeah. And I'm worried I'm going to gain weight and I want to cut back on my, my food plan. And he said to me, you know, don't do that yet because your body needs fuel to heal as well. Right. right? So yeah. why, why don't you just stick to your food plan and see where it takes you? And, um, and I was, you know, I don't weigh myself a lot and I hadn't weighed myself that whole time during, I went during the recuperation. Yeah. Um, and, um, but I, I was going to an event where I was speaking and I had to, I thought I should qualify. Right. right. And I always feel like, you got to know where you are in order to be able to qualify. Right. right yeah. So I, I weighed myself for the first time since going into surgery and I dropped 15 pounds. Wow. And I was like, Holy shit. I never thought that was even going to happen. Wow. You must have had a really deranged foot. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think honestly, like a lot of it is, um, how it's honest is not the right word because I was committing my food, but yeah. I think, you know, with, with everything going on with the pandemic and all of this stuff, I was actually at home. I was actually cooking my own meals. There right. wasn't that odd place that yeah. I was going out because sometimes you're out on the road and you have to find a restaurant or something yeah. like that. And the portions are always big. And I find for me, I'm one of those guys, if it goes on my plate, I'm really good at finishing my plate, you know, thanks yeah. for that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is a struggle for me and it hasn't been that way. And I've actually been able to get better habits even, mm -hmm. um, in that I will actually, I've kind of gotten the strength over the last few months to say, Hey, uh, my wife, I'm really glad you made that thing. It's really hard for me to weigh and measure. So I'm not going to have it and I'm just going to make my own thing. Okay. Um, and so that's changed as well. That's kind of been a shift. Um, but I guess getting back to what I was talking about, it's just, I just feel like, I feel like I'm bigger. I always feel like I'm bigger than I am. Um, and which is weird because that's a bit of a shift too, because I used to think I wasn't big enough. Wow. Wow. That's really, like, yeah. I'm small. I'm not, I'm going to be easily kind of picked on and I need to get bigger, you know? Right. Wow. So in terms of, you mentioned your sponsor now. So let's circle back to, you know, your uh, healing relationship with men by sponsorship. Is your sponsor a man today? Yes. Yeah. Now, but it's, it was a sandwich. So I started out with a man. Yeah. Uh, then I had a woman sponsor for six years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we're still really tight today. Yeah. Um, just, you know, um, it's just life changes, right? Like people yeah. get, you know, she had a kid, she's super busy. Yeah. No, um, I know. You know. Stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and plus, uh, I moved halfway. I, I moved out of the lower mainland. She moved onto the other side of the lower mainland. So yeah. meeting in person was going to be three hours each way. And that, wow, you know, that wasn't going to, yeah. Yeah, that's not super great. Although, you know, I'm a, I, I do sponsor people from out of town and I think yeah. if you're willing to have Zoom and if it works out, that's a great thing. But yeah. it just wasn't working for me the way it worked out. And now I found uh, a man in program as well. Uh, and how long have you been working with him? 
um, just under a year. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. pretty new still. Um, and uh, actually, I would maybe I peg it more at maybe more at nine months ish. I guess maybe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about you know the experience of working with your first male sponsor and then this male sponsor in terms of you know and again this is for you know our hopefully you know, male fellows listening to this, your experience of healing your relationship with men. Like I'm wondering, you know, you say now you get off the phone and you can say to another man, you know, I love you, you know, and yeah. did that come, I'm sure it came out of many things, but yeah. um, you know, how did the sponsor, how did both you being sponsored by men and you sponsoring men, yeah. You know, how did the healing process around that kind of evolve? Well, it is, it is an evolution. It is an evolution. I'll, I'll be clear about that. And, and the other thing I'm going to say right now, my sponsee taught me that. Oh, yeah. You know? um, and, and um, so it's, it's one guy that I've been with. I've been with him for seven years. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, seven years or so, I guess, somewhere around there, a yeah. long time. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, and our relationship has grown over the years quite a lot. Um, he's somebody that I really admire and respect. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I, I really do occasionally think sometimes, I think he should be sponsoring me instead of the other way around. You know, like... I'm going to be super arrogant right now and say, no, I've never had that thought. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome for you. I know. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Comes with this, you know, it's, it's not a whole luggage piece, but there's a yeah. hand. There, yeah, but. no, I know. I know. What you mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, but yeah, I mean, it, it is something that is, it's about trust. And that has been really hard for me to build, you know? Yeah. And, um, and to be honest, I don't think I've said that to my sponsor yet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and again, that takes time and it a little bit of commitment. Time. I think honestly, you know, I, like, I think I mentioned I'm in a step four, so I'm going to be giving him my step five. Yeah. And I think probably, I think things will shift after that. Oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Cause it's just like, I think one of the things about that step four, step five and sponsorship moment is, is there's a lot of vulnerability that is in those relationships. Yes. And, um, and um, I sort of lost my train of thought about that, but, but it is super important and it just, it just takes time. And, and I think something that you touched on that I didn't actually say, but it kind of crystallized as soon as you said it, you know, is, we need to be communicating not just with our mouths, you know, we need to be communicating with understanding what body language means mm -hmm. um, and doesn't mean because I have, you know, because of, yeah. you know, trauma and, and the way right. my childhood was I was super hypervigilant. Right. right. So uh, just because you're hypervigilant doesn't mean you're a mind reader and uh, and uh, you might be able to notice something is different and odd from the norm, but you don't know what that means or is unless you talk about it. Right. But you'll also see how people act towards you. You know, like I'm, I'm starting to learn that um, as a sponsor, especially like 
the folks that aren't getting from anything from you just won't call you back. So, you know, um, well, let me circle you back around. What we were talking about is the evolution of healing your relationship with men by, you know, your sponsor from, you know, so again, this sort of trajectory, you coming into the rooms, having that first younger sponsor to where you are now saying, I love you. And then working with this sponsor, is there anything that, and again, you know, this is for, you know, our unknown fellows who might be listening around that process that you'd even want to reflect or touch on anything at all. It doesn't have to be profound. I think, honestly, I think what I, if there's anything that I can take responsibility for in in my own recovery, because I know it doesn't really come from me. I think that the self is the biggest detriment that you have to your own recovery. Mm -hmm. So that being said, like what I, the one thing that I I tried to practice that has worked for me the best is to stay open. You know, like I really believe that, you know, the way the world was supposed to work was that we were supposed to be open and permeable to each other. Yeah. We have to be vulnerable. We have to be open. And I know it's been super hard to realize that I've been hurt in this world, but the only way to really get to that sweet spot is to be in that place where you can be hurt. And how did the program now let's bring tie all this back, all of this healing, all of this being able to be vulnerable, everything that you and I are talking about, it started with coming into the rooms, working a program, putting the food down, doing the steps. Can you sort of speak to that? Well, yeah. I mean, like when I was in the food, the, the openness is not possible because the openness was a direct, the food was a direct response to being open. Right. It was, it was the only way to shut off. Right. You know, if I being vulnerable or, or feeling like anxious, cause I have a lot of anxiety stuff come up. Yeah. Like if you don't want to be ang- anxious, the way for me to do that was to stuff my face. Right. Um, and, right. and then, cause you know, I, I grew up in the family I grew up, I have anger issues as well. Yeah. So the only way to take the anger out of it was to eat. And the only right. way, and then after it just all emotions became a reason to some put some in my face. So right. if you don't, you have to be able to feel to be open. Yeah. The food has to go down for you to be able to feel. Right. Um, and then. The food has to be put down in order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. go down, not go down your oh, throat. No, like. no, not in the hole. Not in the hole. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I had to put the food down to be able to start to feel things. I yeah. had to be able to, and to realize like, and again, the other part of it is perfectionism, right? Like I felt like I really sucked at life. Right. Yeah. And I never allowed myself to make mistakes and you have to go out and make mistakes in order to learn, to be able to get better. You have to be able to take those baby steps with other people and have, you know, these conversations that start out like, I want to be your friend and they go horribly sideways and you wonder what the hell did I just say? You know, stuff like that happens sometimes. And and you have to to learn how to work through that without, you know, a, you know, beating yourself up about it. Yeah. You know, I like to talk about it as internal violence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, understanding that this is a part of growing up and being a part of who you are, you know, and, and that's, 
that's the thing that I, you know, is talked about usually with other, I've heard it talked about in other programs more than this one, but that you kind of get stunted, you know, emotionally at a place where you started to pick up, you know, and and that's, that was true for me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a total teenager. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in that space where, you know, you can't make me, (laughs) you know, and uh, you know, and and yeah. how do Canadians rebel? <laughs> I'm gonna well, get out of the pool very slowly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a it's it's a lot of passive aggressive. Yeah, you know, you yeah. know I'm gonna pee in the pool before I get out on time. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, you're driving around. Just look at all the people when you're in your car with the windows rolled up. There's a lot of Canadian. <laughs> animals driving around as well. Yeah, going no, on. I believe yeah. you. I believe yeah. you. Sponsor one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, um that was I mean, that's that that was key was, you know, just learning how to make those mistakes. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the reasons I think one of the I, I was thinking about dropping my first sponsor actually because of the way that he talked about himself. Cause I started realizing after during the shares, like it was like, and, and I want to touch on this a little bit because yeah. actually I want to bounce something off you if it's yeah, yeah, yeah. is that, you know, the way he would share would be great. He'd talk about weight yeah. he's lost and stuff, but then he would talk about what his life was before. And he would literally say in meetings, like I was a total piece of shit. And yeah. he would just talk about himself in such awful detail about, what a loser he was and all of this yeah. stuff. And in a way that, you know, he held on to it, like he kept yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And, and I thought, yeah. that's not, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not no. what I'm looking for. No. And, and so today, like I've made, I've been trying to make a real conscious effort to change the way that I share about my story. Yeah. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, cause what I would do is I get, 20 minutes to talk yeah. and I'd want to do a short qualify and then just start talking about, you know, what changed and how things got yeah, better. Yeah. But I would be in the, what it was like for 10 minutes and it's just like, okay, well that was, and it felt like almost like it, it felt like I was, uh, it felt sort of like damage porn, you know, like I, I would be like, yeah. I like and that I would just be like, I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to kind of get some sort of emotional high or low out of the way. I would talk about what it was like before. Yeah. And, and now I think what I'm doing right now, talking about baby steps and making mistakes and stuff yeah. like that, is I'm really trying what it's like to just try and cut all of that out. Right. And, you know, and now I'm kind of in this place where, like, am I giving people the full picture of what it was like for me emotionally? Right. Um, because, and I'm trying to figure out where the line is where people think, yeah, you know, I was eating a, a bagel one day and, and now I'm not and everything's great, you know, versus, versus yeah. like my life was a wreck and, and the emotional gains of this program I've gotten are so big. They are like, I've heard people talk about it before, like that my recovery from food, is the least of the benefits I've gotten from this yeah. program. And that's definitely true for me. Yeah. And I'm just trying to figure out for a way to accurately de- depict yeah. what my life was like before without, you know, pulling out the whole orchestra 
right. of violins and, and going on for, you know, like 20 minutes. But Well, and just to, you know, we're, we're a little off topic, but just to respond to that, I break it down. I could, I've learned to break it down to statistics, you know, weight numbers, you know, and I love having pictures because that saves it. And then also just a couple of stories that sort of tell the whole story, mm. you know, and, and then I want to get really quickly to what it's like, what happened and what it's like now. And then in the, what happened and what it's like now more, you'll, you know, in talking about the transformation, I then will be talking about, you know, what it used to be like. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. You know, I just sort of throw out a couple of things that like, yeah, I qualify to be here. And then in talking about, you know, how I transformed, I'll give you yeah. more information. But yeah. anyway, so thank you so much, Tim. This has been fantastic. Hopefully the beginning of many conversations, yeah. you yeah. know, and um, yeah, I'm going to stop recording now and